Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of Inside Arsenal Extra Time with myself, Charles Watson, of course, James Benj of CBS. Good to have you back, James. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm tired, mate. Really, really tired. I've had, uh, you haven't had the joy yet of knowing what it's like to have a young child get sick in the night. Uh, That is sure to come for you, but yeah. It's brutal. And I had one of those nights last night when my son got very ill in the middle of the night. And um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. <laughs> yeah, I can well imagine. I mean, the only time anyone in our household gets sick, uh, it, it generally follows a sort of night of revelry. So it um, seems like you probably get the worst of both worlds there. Yeah, it, honestly, mate, it was really, really bad. I have not slept. It was like it was, it was a weird one because he sort of got, he woke up at one in the morning. And then I was trying to get him back to sleep. I was lying on this bedroom floor trying to get him back to sleep. He wouldn't go to sleep. And he's in a bunk bed with his sister at the top. And so and I was like... I've, oh, thank God she's at the top. Yeah, you know, he was moving around so much. I was like, I've got to get him out of here because he's going to wake her up. Then it's going to be double as bad because she's going to be... It. So I got him downstairs. He was on the sofa. I thought about going to sleep. And then suddenly there was just projectile vomit oh. everywhere. All over the sofas. Carpet. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, um, so a few people in the comments, didn't they, last week said they liked hearing us chat nonsense about our lives. I wonder how well that's holding up now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't even feel sorry because none of them had to actually deal with what I had to deal with last night, cleaning it up. So as bad as it sounds to listen to, it's much, much worse to uh, to clear it up. And I'm sure all of the parents out there who are watching know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, I'm hanging on by a thread today unfortunately and we're doing this on my wife's lunch break because i'm looking after him today downstairs for the day so we've got about sort of a 50 minute window to get this uh people say they want to get into football journalism it's the glamour of the job folks the glamour indeed so yeah aside from that i'm not too bad um yeah still sort of getting over 
the disappointment of Sunday, really, I'm not as disappointed and as gutted as appears a lot of people are because it seems like the world has ended um, after a 2-2 draw against Tottenham in the uh, North London derby. So we'll certainly talk about that today, get your thoughts on it all and the reaction to it, the performances. Look ahead to Brentford, of course, Carabao Cup action this week. Are you, are you excited about Carabao Cup? So I always have this thing, I've never seen Arsenal win the League Cup. Obviously, you know, there are bigger trophies I'd like to see Arsenal win first. But I'm a little too young to sort of remember the days of the cup doubles and all that. I was so, there. I saw Steve Morrow fall off Tony Adams' shoulder at Wembley. In one of the most minute. That was honestly, that was so bizarre because this was like 93, obviously. And this was pre-mobiles and Twitter and anything. And so we were just all in Wembley, you know, the vast old Wembley. Mm. celebrating and then suddenly it was like something's going on on the pitch and none of us because it was so far away it was like what, what the hell's going on it was such a bizarre end to a cup final and no one had really having a clue what had happened from where we were and not being able to get information like we would now it was yeah it was just a really really bizarre day <laughs> bizarre on that first competition that i know what, what finals have we lost since then chelsea at cardiff the the city. brawl of cardiff the city one yeah birmingham oh my god Ugh. Birmingham. The Chelsea one stings because that was the one where, like, you know, the print, you, you're like, oh, yeah, fine. Arsenal's thrown it. He's played the kids, hasn't he? And then Walcott scores in like the fourth minute. Yeah, played really well. Played really, really well. Really good game. Yeah. <laughs> we just got bullied by adults. Drogba, what a surprise. That, uh, that Birmingham game, though. Oh, my God. That, I mean, uh, that was. If there was ever a, a moment that summed up the banter era more than that winning goal for over Femi Martins, I mean, there was that was just the most classic Arsenal way to lose a cup final that you're expected to win ever. This is the prime. It is the sort of start point, the pivot point of the banter era. I've so I've never seen the game. That's the only thing I have to say. It's sort of I was working that day, uni job or something like that. Came home. Read, you know, Lauren Koscielny Howler hands at Birmingham City um, Carabao Cup or whatever it was. Like then. And I was like, yeah, I don't ever need to see that. Thank you very much. Never seen it. Never will. Yeah. I, do, I actually laughed when it went. I was just it. We were up at, we were, me and dad were at Wembley for it. And uh, it was just, it was that moment of, has that actually just happened? I mean, Birmingham were dead on their feet. Literally, they couldn't run anymore. It was going to be such an easy extra time for Arsenal to win that cup final. And then in the last minute, they go do that. I just remember looking at Dad. It's just like, has that actually just happened? And it was so, such a horrible day. It was tipping down with rain as well. Oh, yeah, I've wiped that one from my mind. Hopefully, we have a little bit more joy in the uh, Carabao Cup this time around. So we will talk about that a little bit later on. Look at who could play in that game. Got some comments from uh, viewers as well. So we predicted 11s, who they want to see play. So we'll do that. But I wanted to start today, James, because... Um, I didn't speak about it in my show this morning that I did because I wanted to sort of focus on it more with you. And obviously the back pages, when we've spoken about, I think was it last week's episode or was it weekend before, this week before we were talking about the sort mm. of wish list of who Arsenal could get. And we were both talking about Tony um, at that point. And now the back pages are all over today. John Cross, obviously Crossy at the Mirror, um, it's also on the back of the star because Reach own everything. Um, <laughs> That's another pod. Saying uh, that, you know, Arteta really is now ready to step up his interest in Ivan Tony and, you know, potentially try and bring him in in January just after his, his ban comes to an end. There's a price tag of 
60 million at the moment being mentioned. Um, now, I think we've both got pretty differing views potentially on this. So let's let's hear what you have to say first about the potential arrival. And I mean, it's a long way off yet, obviously. Mm. But if this was to happen and Arsenal did step up their interest in Ivan Tony and brought him in, what what would your thoughts on it be? Yeah, I think two weeks ago, even when we were just sort of talking in, in generalities, I was quite keen. And I think then you hear these whispers and, and obviously, you know, see guys like John, who's been sensational uh, this summer, hasn't he, on Arsenal, report this. And you start thinking about it in more practical terms about, OK, 60 million, Ivan Tony, 27 years old. Is he, what does he bring to Arsenal to take them to the next level. And I'm just not quite seeing it. I think he's a fantastic footballer. I'm not saying that it would be a disastrous signing. I'm just saying it's not the one I think I I, I would want to see Arsenal make. I will caveat that by saying if in late January, I have a sense that Ivan Tony would put Arsenal over the top in a title race, then I completely retract everything I'm going to say here. Go for it. You win a title and you don't really need to justify whether 60 million is an overpay. But he's 27 years old. He scores a lot of penalties. The way that Brentford play football, which is based around his qualities, is nothing like the way Arsenal play football. It's long, it's direct. By the way, they still do that with Wisser and Embuemo. And if you spend 60 million on him, him and Jesus are your front two for three, four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it, it it feels like you're overpaying for a player that scores a lot of penalties. I don't think he has the craft around the box. He's a great plan B. I am that guy that every World Cup, every Euros, I'm like, England, please take a, a big, strong striker. Please take Ivan Tony, so that there's someone to launch the ball into the mixer in, in tournament football. But I think for a 38-game Premier League season for over three years, I just it doesn't all quite add up. 60 million, 27 years old. A lot of those goals are penalties. I'm just not there. I feel like you are though. Yeah, I'm quite I'm pretty there. I really like the idea of Ivan Tony at Arsenal. I think he gives something different. I'm not when I say that, I don't sort of see him as Arsenal's guaranteed number nine starting every single game. I just mm. see him as another option for Mikel to use. And a really good option at that, where it's a different option, more importantly. Um, I think he's definitely Premier League ready. I think he's going to have a point to prove. I think he's such a handful. I, I go back, I've never seen anyone cause Williams Lieber as many problems as yeah, I did Ivan Tony last season. I thought he was absolutely brilliant in that game. I think, um, I think he would just bring something a little bit different to the table that Arsenal need and again I'm not saying he should be Arsenal's guaranteed starter up front um but I just think he gives he would give Arsenal a different option and it's an expensive provide. plan B though it is a pl- I'm not saying it's a plan B though I'm not I, again I saw him looking at more as a squad game and it's like you pick and choose we know what Arteta what he said what he says he's doing at the moment anyway is you know building a squad where he can pick and choose players depending on the opponent and stuff like that so I don't really look at him as a plan B I just look at him as another plan A for um a certain game that Mikel might might like. And he is expensive. But ultimately, I don't really care about how much money it costs. Mm. It is not my money. So that doesn't really bother me too much. Like Arsenal spend a lot of money 
and they keep spending a lot of money. So I don't look at them spending 60 million on Tony and thinking they won't be able to spend anything else in the summer. I still think they will. Um, and yeah, I mean, no, I'm not absolutely set on it. I don't think it's it's Tony or or no one. I think there are certainly other options out there that could could be looked at. But if they do decide that Tony's the guy that they want and they do bring him in, I think he's got a lot of attributes to make Arsenal a much better, stronger proposition in terms of the squad and and what the sort of options Arteta will have available to it. I get your, I do look at his open play goals and, you know, they're not, it's, he's not prolific by any means, but, you know, would he be more prolific at Arsenal if he'd get the type of chances you would hope he'd create at Arsenal? He, he would have at Arsenal. Maybe maybe he would. Sometimes players take that step up to the next level and they, they sort of thrive on it and they take their game to the next level and their, and their goals, their goal record goes up. So, yeah, I, I it's an interesting one. When you look at why he's banned at the moment and you look at Mikel... Arteta and the whole non-negotiables and all that sort of thing. Do, mm. do, do you have? And I've had a few comments about this. Do you? Do you? People say oh, Arteta wouldn't touch him because of what's what's going on. Do you? Do you buy into that? No, I don't think that's an issue at all. Frankly, I mean, I, so I watched and God, you know, the, what's the guy's name? The guy from Dragons Den, his podcast. I can't stand him. Um, that's a side note. Um, Steve, it's not Stephen Merchant because he wrote The Office. Whatever his name is, not Stephen Mulhern. It's something like that. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. The Diary of a CEO is the name of the podcast. And I watched that whole Tony interview. And I just, I mean, it's it, it, it's silly. And, you know, there's a sort of an inkling there of like, well, come on, mate, you should know that you, you must have known that it's against you know, the, the rules of the, the laws of the game for you to ban is against, F, uh, to gamble, it's against FA regulations. You should know that. And I don't kind of believe that you didn't, but it just, you know, you do get the sense he's learned his lesson and the way he was talking was so, uh, you know, I'm coming back to to take over, to prove a point, to be better. And then, of course, there was that moment where the host, who's a Man United fan, was going... Stephen Bartlett. Stephen Bartlett, that's the one. Had to make it about himself, didn't he? And he was like, oh, you know, next club, Man United. And Tony was like, yeah, I'm a Liverpool fan, but you know who's good? Arsenal. Yeah. And you knew from then on, you were like, right, six months, 12 months, buckle yourselves in. We're going to be hearing Tony to Arsenal all the time. I thought but- that was really interesting. I spoke, we, we spoke about that before, didn't we? Just where he deliberately turned that yeah. conversation to Arsenal out of, you know, it was, Bartley was clearly taking it down another route and he yeah. just put on his head, Tony, very deliberately, and spoke about Arsenal, which again gets my sort of senses up of, are we in a sort of Declan Rice situation where already a lot of work's going on behind the scenes to try and potentially, you know, get this get this to a position that when the window does open, that Arsenal are ready to to, to move and they are very much at the very, you know, at the front of the queue for, for when the potential bidding war starts. They have been so good at that as late, you know, with the players they really want. Because, you know, we forget that Mudrik didn't happen, but it wasn't because Arsenal hadn't, like, sold... It, the project to Mikhailo Mudrik. I mean, I frankly got the sense, you know, that he's almost like a hostage there at Chelsea, isn't he? Because he was so desperate to move to Arsenal because of the groundwork they put in. The same with Declan Rice, who, turned, who pretty much didn't really push for Man City. But, you know, and you do wonder, you're like, oh, what's... There's a sort of weird thing, isn't there, between Tony and Arsenal going right the way back to that nice kickabout with the lads. You know, things like that. I really like that. He's got a bit of spike a bit of uh 
aggro. He's he's going to be coming back. It sounds like with a point to prove. So like all that off field stuff, I like about Tony. That's the sort of things that I'm like. Yeah, you know, his character would fit really well in this Arsenal dressing room. I think, you know, he would come with a point to prove, totally focused on Premier League titles. It's almost the on-field, like, I, if he was 23, 24, I'd be like, there's time there for Mikel Arteta to, to really hone him into the ultimate Arsenal striker. At 27, the, the thing with the ban is it, it's the the unknown of, of what he comes back like. He will have had, he's back in training already, so he will have had the training time, but it's a lot of missed football. And, you, you know, it's almost like coming back from an injury, isn't it? Until you see them do it, you can never be sure. So I'm kind of looking at this as like 27-year-old who has had a long period off the pitch. It feels like too much of a gamble at 60 million. A lot of this sort of talk about strikers is, come off the back of the derby draw at the weekend obviously yeah everyone's saying Arsenal need a striker Arsenal need a striker Enketia was poor Jesus missed a big chance um but I've got a couple of comments here from viewers uh Guna Philosopher and Gordon Patterson and both of these comments here if you're watching on YouTube you can see it on the screen are sort of saying look striker isn't the biggest need the we, we've still yet to replace Xhaka. Obviously, Havertz hasn't hit the ground running yet. Whether he does, we'll have to wait and see. Smith-Rowe's not really getting opportunities too much. So, you know, no one's really stepped up and filled the granite Xhaka void at the moment. And people are looking at that and saying that, when you look at Arsenal's start to the season, the first mm-hmm. six games of the season, that is potentially the big thing that is missing so far and the thing that is just sort of ensuring that Arsenal quite, aren't quite clicking as much as they were in the... In the um, in the sort of start of last season. But when you when you look at it and you look sort of focus ahead to January and what Arsenal might do to to sort of try and get them, I, I don't know, over the line or make them a stronger proposition in the second half of the season, I still feel like I, I cannot imagine that they're going to dip back into the market for that sort of number eight position. I think strikers certainly going to be ahead of ahead of that. They're going to they're going to still try and work with what they've got in that role. I think you're you're totally right. Arteta has sort of invested a lot of capital, both actual and, you know, his coaching stock in, in Kai Havertz. I think the thing that, that sort of nags in the back of your mind is when we talk about the alternative qualities that Tony could bring, how many of them would Havertz bring as the alternative number nine? You know, he does, he is tall, he wins his headers, he's a good outlet and he holds play up really well, and then has that final pass. Of course, what he doesn't have at the moment and doesn't hugely feel like is coming right now is is the confidence and fearlessness of a, a top striker. But like, you know, I would, I I was, you know, when the, the amid all this Tony talk, I have been thinking, could you take that money you'd spend on Tony and, and turn it into another midfielder and just a bit more variety? So sometimes Havertz will play that role, but sometimes you have your true Xhaka replacement, whoever that is. But I said, you know, it seems like you're, I don't know, but then there's Vieira as well. I find it really hard to to put my finger on where Arsenal need to sort of take that next step forward because it, it, it feels like something's missing. Maybe I kidded myself it was all Jesus against PSV. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It just feels like at the moment we're, we're in kind of murky waters and oh, maybe well, I need to navigate... These comments, I think, are spot on. I, I think at the moment, what the, the jacket thing is clearly a 
you know, and not having Granite there, how well he played last season, how consistent he was last season, what he was doing in the final third last season, not having that now this season, it's, it's clearly Arsenal missing that because the player that they've brought in to replace him isn't firing yet and mm. isn't producing anything like what what Granite did. Um, and I'm not sitting there, that's not, I'm not, you know, going to start and launch into a Havertz bashing moment by any means, but I think it is, it's just blatantly obvious, isn't it, that the, mm. the player Arsenal brought in to replace such a vital player of last season isn't performing yet. And so they're obviously going to struggle a little bit uh, because of that. Um, you know, hopefully hopefully it can sort of click and sort itself out. But at the moment, I think that is definitely missing. Um, yeah, I agree. Havertz can play in that in that nine role, but I still think there's no comparison to me. If you've got, if you've got a choice between Tony and Kai Havertz playing as number nine, then there's only, only one uh, winner there. Winner there for me. Um, I mean, we'll move into the derby now. It was a weird game on Sunday. I thought, um, you know, I thought Arsenal were great for thirty minutes, or or good for thirty minutes. Maybe not great. I thought great. They were good. The, the pressing was unreal. It was, you know, Tottenham couldn't get out of their half. They got the goal. The Jesus miss was such a massive moment in the game. You know, that goes in two nil. You know, Arsenal win that game for me. Um, it didn't that seemed to have a big negative impact on Arsenal and it had the complete opposite on Tottenham, who suddenly launched into their best spell of the game. You know, Arsenal did what Arsenal do and failed to keep a clean sheet at the Emirates, let Tottenham back in the game. And and then it was very, very different after that. The injuries at half-time, the replacements at half-time certainly changed things. And yeah, it was one of those games. I think at the end of it, I was kind of relieved that Arsenal hadn't lost, but I was also really disappointed that Arsenal hadn't won because they could have won. They got themselves in the position to win and they just made stupid errors once again. And um, the reaction's been pretty mad, though. Like, mm. I've seen words like like abomination and and just like uh, the Arteta out stuff. And No, I haven't actually seen any of that. Just people, just not, maybe not saying Arteta out, but we're just saying Arteta's not the man... He's not, you know, we're never going to win the league under him and all that sort of stuff. And but yeah, just like absolutely slagging it. It's a North London derby. I mean, I'm maybe like, I'm just from a different era, but I, I just look at it. It's a, you know, even when Arsenal were at their very best and Tottenham mm-hmm. were properly rubbish, like they honestly were, like they were, <laughs> you'd still have North London derbies where it would be a draw. And it's just, it's that's why everyone loves this game. It's what it's about. It's almost like a cup game, isn't it? Rather than it's the same with any derby. Um, you're never, you're not guaranteed to win, and this Tottenham team are, are pretty decent. They're showing they're pretty decent, and I didn't, I didn't come away from the ground as I was leaving thinking that's a disastrous result by any means. I was just disappointed that Arsenal hadn't mm. won because I felt like they could have done. But um, you know, so it's just, I don't know. Some of the reaction to any drop points now is just, yeah, I just, it just feels really, really over the top to me. But then I do also understand that if you're trying to win the title, which I guess. You know, we're all hoping that could have happened this season or could happen this season. We know that you you can barely afford to drop points because of who you're up against. And so there is that into it. But yeah, well, I mean, what were your thoughts sitting over in the press box? You were opposite me, obviously. I was in the stands. Um, I think it was first North London derby. I was sitting in the stands as in, in a... Pro- well, how did that... How was that? How, we'll, we'll talk about the game, but how, how different was that as an experience? Oh, well, it was very different, but... Um, You're quite near the away fans as well. Aren't oh, right next to away fans, yeah. So it was okay. great. It was, it was it was great, but it was just weird because every time Arsenal, you thought you were on top, yeah, straight away almost. Yeah, it, it was pegged back, so you never had that. You never had that sort of yeah. time to enjoy it and and rub Spurs' fans' noses in it, which is a which is a little bit disappointing. So no, it was it was really good. It was great to be to be there again, but obviously, as I said, still left a 
left the stadium pretty frustrated that we hadn't hadn't taken all three points because although we didn't play at our best, still feels like a game that Arsenal should have won. Yeah, frustration does does really sum it up. I mean, you know, you think some of the reactions wild about Arteta out. I mean, there seems to have been quite a significant James Benj out movement because I happen to have. Uh, oh yeah, Bozo broken my streak. Yes, I mean, what I would say that is, I have actually been to a lot of North London derbies that Arsenal have won as well. Uh, I just missed a few. Um, that was a weird brilliant. Answer, I, I've I've not heard Bozo. It's a great insult in a long time. That was a that was a very good social media trolling i, I yeah, thought Bozo, it, it it uh yeah it was a uh, it was just it just made me laugh obviously not making laugh that you get a load of dog's abuse to <laughs> media, but it's I just thought, i just thought what well, brilliant <laughs> of all the words to pick you go with yeah. Bozo. <laughs> i mean you sort of find this now i'm sure you're, you'll be even more the same because you've got a lot more followers than me on on twitter but you have to and you've had this in the pod as well uh, you see these things that you just sort of say that you just put out there for a bit of a laugh. Like when we said seven players from the academy would start over Nicola Pepe and that gets aggregated into news. Or you say, I've never been to, oh, I've the last three London derbies I've missed, Arsenal have lost. And there are just mentalists out there who would go, oh, it is actually your fault then. Cause, and some of them felt like they genuinely thought that. Anyway, game. I thought Arsenal were brilliant for half an hour. Really good. I, I know some of these stats feel a bit, needlessly precise and like I've tailored the, the data to make the stats, but six um, ball recoveries in the Spurs third in the period leading up to Christian Romero's brilliant own goal. I mean, if that's an Olivier Giroud-esque near post finish, I thought. And that's only in the, since the start of 2021, only six teams have managed more final third recoveries. And I thought Arsenal had throttled Spurs. Mm. You know, Spurs were bringing back eight players just to get the ball moving around their own half. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I guess the thing, and Arteta did hint at this in the presser, was Arsenal just played the start of that game at 100 miles an hour. And when you played two games in the preceding seven days, you probably can't do that. Um, especially when Declan Rice comes out. I thought you really discovered how massive losing him was because you, can, if you're Erdegaard, if you're Vieira, Jesus, you can press because so often Spurs would just about break through Arsenal's first line and Declan Rice would just go bang, straight through them, mm. win the ball back, easy peasy. 
Um, and Arsenal would be back where they wanted to be. And there was a moment in like the 70th minute where Jorginho tries it. Madison beats him and you're like, yeah, Jorginho won't even get back to the penalty area. So, I mean, it, it felt like a game to... I wonder how different the game is if Rice can just play through this this back niggle. Um, finishing's frustrating. The, the errors are frustrating, but like they happen. I'm fairly positive about it because like you say, like it is the North London derby. You do have to sort of throw the form book out of the window a little bit. And Arsenal were the better team. I just at, at full full tilt. I hope what Arteta takes away from this game is the substitution pattern was his substitutions were as bad a mistake as any that the players made. I thought, I think bringing on Jorginho and leaving him on his own was a mess for that goal. I seem to remember that there's basically no option ahead of him. So it's a, it's a really bad touch. It's Jorginho's fault, but you know, my thing here is if he had Mohamed Elneny next to him and I would have brought Elneny on for Vieira and gone or, or had Erdegaard or Havertz sit next to him, he just plays the ball sideways. I thought leaving Jorginho on an island was a disaster. Taking Jesus off when Saka was injured was a really, really bad decision. And and we talk about this in terms of Brentford as well. Like if Nketi is struggling, if Jesus is looking tired, Saka's injured, why is Emil Smith Rowe not coming on until was it the 93rd minute? I had it down yeah, as late, no, it's 97th. I think it was 96th, 97th minute. He literally got last lap. And he, in that time, he still completed more dribbles than any other uh, player on the pitch except Jesus. It's the, the substitutions from Arteta. It's been an issue we've been hammering him for, whilst praising him for so much else over the last two, three years. Even with five injuries, the options were there and he used them so poorly, so, so poorly. And I think that's the real disappointment from his perspective. And I'm sure that's what he'll dwell on. Great, you know, great of, moment. What did you make of, um, who, who was it? It was Havertz came on for Vieira at the same yeah. time. Didn't you? What did you make of making that sub at the same time? And the fact that Mikel said it was obviously tactical. Do you think had Rice had been on the pitch, that sub would have happened anyway? Or do you think he made that sub because he was taking Rice off and he felt like getting Havertz on and adding maybe a little bit more sort of height into that area without Rice was was essential to it? Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought of it like that. I, you almost, I always thought of it as sort of like getting Havertz into the attacking third. But because, yeah, like um, like Vieira and Jorginho is not going to win any, uh, any balls, you know, any aerial duels on the edge of the penalty area, is it? So, mate, but then Havertz didn't do that, did he? Not particularly. I, I, that, I just don't know that that Havertz knows what he's meant to be doing at any moment. He started early on; he was deep a bit. You tell me. I, I really yeah. don't know what Havertz. I, I was just really surprised because I mean, obviously, it's different when you're watching in the stands as well. And I and I got this when I did my player ratings afterwards. Everyone hammered me for it. And it's very different, I think, when you're not sitting in either watching it on TV or in the press setting, and you're sort of watching it more as your with your mm. professional head on. Like I thought certain players played all right, and like I thought Odegaard did all right, but I was basing that on his pressing, and then everyone was saying, oh, he was awful, he couldn't complete a pass. And but I, did, I didn't think Vieira had that bad a first half, and Not I was really, I was really surprised that he went off um, at, at that point. But so I was kind of wondering if it was just because Rice had gone off and he wanted Havertz on to have a little bit more sort of physicality and stature in that in that area, but I wasn't sure. I mean, it, it just yeah. It, it, it didn't work. It didn't work too much. But, you know, people hammering Jorginho afterwards as well, going, oh, 
Chelsea rejects and all that stuff, all that Chelsea stuff started coming back out again. It's like, he's been a really good sign-in. He's done yeah. barely anything wrong since he signed. I mean, Madison made the exact same mistake in the first half. The only difference was Jesus blazed a chance over. Tottenham, you know, as they do, and certainly as Son does, he's so clinical when he gets his chances. He, he, he stuck it away. And, <laughs> it's so know, annoying that he's like back, isn't it? I really, yeah, I was like... Annoying. Good riddance to elite level Son at the end of last season. I was like, and with him go Spurs. Annoyingly, if Son's good, Spurs might be all right. He just doesn't miss. He's just such a good finisher when he gets chance when he gets chances. And um, and yeah, obviously he stuck it away. But now you're not going to need Spurs fans going, oh Madison Leicester reject or whatever just because he'd made that one error. It happens. It happens. Mm. So it's not Jorginho's fault necessarily. That Arsenal lost that. Uh, didn't didn't win that game. I thought again some of the reaction to him was just really really over the top. But yeah, it was definitely two points drop. I came away from it thinking, thinking um, it, it was two p- points drop. Not so much because of the level of performance or the level of Spurs' performance. Just for an, I just looked at some of the areas, the goals that Arsenal conceded, the big big miss of Jesus, and thinking um, you know that Arsenal could have done better. I and mean, David Raya um, was in goal. I've got a question here. Um, he got his start. Again, like I came back, I you came, what? I came home and and I was reading on social media and certain and people were saying, "Oh, Ryan had a shock shock performance. He was at fault for the second goal." And I was like, "I was like, I have to watch this again now. Has he done something that I hadn't spotted?" And I was like, "What was Ryan supposed to do for that second goal?" And, um, <laughs> I mean, the first one maybe he could have clawed that cross over, but you know, sort of put it more out of harm's way than he did. But you know, there was, you know, I think if you're going to blame did anyone, did you not also make the save of the season? <laughs> I know, just before. And even the save he made after clawing that out, he, he got up and saved mm. again from Johnson before Spurs recycled it. And, you know, Saka got absolutely done by by Madison down the down the left. So I think there's, if you're going to blame anyone for the first goal, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't be blaming Ryan. Look, his distribution was unusually poor, I thought. But I think that just went through the whole team. Arsenal couldn't really complete passes. It was. I think he said that they they were so good in that first half hour, how they pressed, and they did press really well. But, and you know, Mikel was saying they played at 100 mile an hour, but it was almost like Want, they pre- they played at that pace to get the ball, but once they got mm. it, they couldn't calm themselves down enough to actually then play the way they wanted to play. It was all just so frenetic, so chaotic that they were just doing things in possession that they wouldn't usually do. And they were very, very slack. And I thought Raya was as well. And I think once a couple of passes went astray, nerves pro- probably came in, you know, it was a big day for him. Um, but, you know, I don't look at that performance and think, oh, that's it for David Raya. Ramsdale should come back in, back in now for that. I didn't think he did necessarily that much wrong although he's probably coming back in isn't he well it will, yeah, it will, will <laughs> rest, obviously but I, I imagine at Bournemouth for the weekend it will certainly be, be Raya still it feels a little bit like some of the standards now being set for Arsenal players by the people that we often hear from in the Arsenal fan base online are impossible for any player to reach it's like I mean, I know that, like you know, Jorginho, it's the sort of area we'd pick on for, for years. But you know, some like some slightly shonky passing from David Raya is not the reason Arsenal didn't win the North London derby. And it also doesn't mean he had a bad game. It, you know, you have to take this in totality and say, yes, it really could have been a lot better with the ball at his feet. But that save he made. And I know that Spurs scored pretty soon after, but like, let's remember the the good stuff. It it, it feels a lot like there's at the moment within the Arsenal fan base, there's so much sort of picking at, at scabs and picking at like, oh, you're not you, that wasn't perfect. Um, I know that that's the standard City set for their player for 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 their rivals is perfection, 
it, sometimes that standard is just unachievable. Um, and yeah, I can't believe people thought Raya had a, a bad game. It wasn't a great game, or bad game. No. I mean, it's easy to forget that Arsenal are still unbeaten this season. Yeah. They've played six in the league, one four, drawn two. They're only one point worse off than they were at this stage last season in the Premier League. They've obviously started the Champions League with thumping 4-0 home wins. So it's not been a disastrous start to the season. Right? I, mean, I just think the, ra- the whole raised expectations, everything of what happened last season and what everyone was kind of hoping was going to happen this season, it just makes it's Yeah, I think... Question for you. like yeah. If you were at the start of the season, if you were thinking... You know, you must. We all plot in our head how Arsenal win the league. How did you think it would happen? Did you think Arsenal would become a 97, 98 point team, or did you think it might they'd need a helping hand from City? No, I, don't, I certainly didn't think there'd be a 97, 98 point team. I don't think that, no, I don't look at this team and uh, seeing that. And yeah, I just think it's going to be a closer league, and I think more teams can mm. take more points off off the top teams. Obviously, no one did that really against City, not too much. Mm. Liverpool obviously beat them at Anfield, but um. Yeah, I just think more. It's going to be, and we're seeing it already actually with the quality. With with you know, Spurs are obviously up there. They've improved. Liverpool are clearly showing signs of, you know, they could well really sort of mount a challenge this year potentially for the title. You know, Brighton, you just cannot rule Brighton out. They're just doing superbly well, and just look a real team who are going to give anyone problems. So, um, I think, yeah, I don't look at Arsenal being a 97, 98 point team. I think if they're going to win the and title, and we all said it. We all said early in the season, we said by the time City come to the Emirates, because their fixture list has been pretty soft, we said it's really, really unlikely that Arsenal will be, you know, three points clear in the same way they were last season. Four is like definitely not ideal. I'm sure uh, Arteta would have hoped that someone somewhere along the way would have spoiled the day for City, but... I think it felt eminently possible that they would like just roll out six wins from six, that Arsenal would be around the 14-point mark. And I know the way they've got there has not been as swashbuckling and there's not been as many shots and goals as, as people might like. But like exactly like you were saying, a bit of perspective here, guys. It, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not terrible. But anyways, and there are a lot of injuries that Arsenal are struggling with mm-hmm. at the moment, which has to be taken into account. Um Brentford tomorrow night, obviously going to be lots of changes, no doubt about it, um, in terms of who could play. You know, I've just brought Emil Smith-Rowe up onto the screen, who I'm desperately hoping gets a start. Do you know when he last started the game? Oh, God. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, last Arsenal start. Well, it wasn't last season, so... No. uh, Oh, God, I don't even know. It must be back towards the... Like the Chelsea game that you scored at Stamford Bridge around there in that season when they were going for the it's top four? A little later on, and it's not a game you're going to want reminding of. Uh, May oh, 2022, Newcastle. Newcastle away. Yeah, Newcastle away, God. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really, hoping he, I'm really hoping he gets a start, and I'm, I'm not the only one. It's like, here's Richard saying, if ESR doesn't start against Brentford, I'll be really annoyed. Can't believe he's not getting more um, game time. You know, lots of people are, are saying that. I've got a... Um, uh, I've got a... One here from, uh, I can't even pronounce that name. Uh, so yep. apologies for that. But look, this is the team he wants to see tomorrow night. Obviously, Ramsdale, Tommy, Gabriel, Kivior, Cedric, Elneny, <laughs> Fabio, Reese, Kai, um, and Smith Rowe. You know, I, I think he's definitely going to make changes 100%. Mm. We're not going to see too strong a team out there in terms of what we're used to in the Premier League. But um, what's the sort of team that you'd like to see on Wednesday night or you're expecting? 
Yeah, that looked that one there we saw there looked a little too rotation-y for what I expect Arteta to do. We always think he's gonna change eleven players. Yeah. Maybe he should, but he doesn't really. So I think you might see a couple of the very senior players, your Jesus's Salibas. Like, I think Jesus might well start this one. Really? I mean, yeah, Jorginho obviously comes in and El is the one I'm, I'm sort of intrigued about because I, if Jorginho is going to be playing a lot of minutes, if he's going to have to play against Bournemouth and kind of we think that Rice is hopeful but not guaranteed, like worth getting some minutes in El Nenny's legs um, and just making sure you're putting yourself in a position to win this game as well. Um I mean, Tom, if, if the, like this is the game where isn't it where the defense feels quite light? I guess maybe you'll see Kivior left back. I wonder. See, I I wonder if you see Kivior left back and one of the two, you know, one of the two main guys, mm. main guys starts, and you could potentially use Cedric at right back, or even if you know, you know could we see a, a, a Raul Walters, someone like that, potentially, potentially? That would be the fun one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the one I'm really intrigued by is is Smith Rowe because this. For an EFL Cup third round game, this feels like one of the biggest games in his Arsenal career. He has, he to, knows start game, he has to start. And not only does he have to start, he has to have a very good game. Because what is clear is he's fighting an, an uphill battle. Um, there is there, you know, Fabio Vieira is Mikel Arteta's man. It's he's someone that he has given loads of chances to and Vieira has made the most of those chances this season. Kai Havertz is a sixty million pound signing. Smith-Rowe wasn't signed by Arteta. I think Arteta would probably admit he owes Smith-Rowe a huge, huge dose of gratitude for for that game against um, Chelsea. I mean, don't forget, go right the way back to the start of Smith-Rowe's Arsenal breakout. If Willian was, I was reading this in your book, if Willian's fit, Willian plays that game. Mm. And yeah, was, he, was he ill or something? Like that? I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I should it was, I wrote about it. Mm. It was something very minor, wasn't it? Because it happened on that morning. And so I think that there has often been a sense that, that Smith-Rowe has to fight this battle to convince Arteta that he is worthy of a spot. Um, and also, I think this is just from an Arsenal perspective. If I were to do, I would be saying, look, you told Smith-Rowe in the summer and you told Smith-Rowe's rep, uh, you know, rep camp, he's going nowhere. Mm. So... That's a, a player that two years ago we were saying we wouldn't even have conversation with Aston Villa if they weren't bidding seventy million pounds. You know, don't don't you spoil this asset? Don't you give us another Kieran Tierney, a player that could have been worth forty million that we're having to loan out? Mm-hmm. So I think there should actually be pressure on Arteta. <laughs> There's hardly ever pressure on Arteta from above, is there? But there should be pressure on Arteta. Get the most out of this player. It doesn't have to be playing him in the Premier League week in week out. But let's not like let a valuable asset and a talented player waste away. Because yeah, biggest. So what do you think? Biggest biggest game of his career since the Chelsea game. Well, I mean, he's right up there, like you said. It, but he almost feels like it's unfair, unfair pressure on him, isn't it? He hasn't started mm, a game it, in over a season, and yet it's like, oh, he's got to play well. He has to play well, otherwise he's not going to get another look in. And I just think that's just really not fair on him, is it? And again, it's down to Arteta just to find more opportunities for him to play, so there's not so much pressure on any you know, this kind of chance that he has. Um, Because it's very, very hard for a player to come in under huge amounts of pressure to perform and to do it. I mean, let's look at Kai Havertz uh, at the moment as the pressure's growing on him week in, week out. Would you be be starting Kai 
in this game? Hmm. I think he might, you know. I think he'll be hmm. looking at it. I mean, he knows that Havertz has got to do something soon. He, he, he knows just for, for Arsenal's sake, but for Havertz's sake as well, and his confidence, he know, you know, so, he needs a big moment. He just yeah. needs a goal, something to spark him into life. And, you know, you want to give him more opportunities and not to, to do that. And I'm, I, I look at this game. He didn't start the weekend, obviously. I don't think he necessarily starts against Bournemouth this weekend in the Premier League. So I, I think he's probably going to start Havertz. I think he probably plays. Yeah, so maybe I'm wrong on Jesus. And I think you hit the key word there is confidence. And I just want to give him so many opportunities to to turn it around because none of it feels unfixable with Havertz. I think there are, you know, he has to adapt to a very particular position. But above all else, I just want to say, he doesn't ever seem to be playing with a smile on his face. Mm. He's it got feels a like he's on his shoulders, isn't it? Yeah. He looks like that. It feels like he's brought what came from Chelsea with him and he just needs a sort of a, a real sense of a fresh start. So, yeah, there's probably not a better chance to get that than against the Brentford team that you, I guess, you hope would be rotated if you're Arteta. I mean, God, if it's not, it could be a a dispiriting day for him. And that almost the worry is it, it could get worse, but mm-hmm. right now you've got to give it chances to get better. So yeah, take back what I was saying about Jesus Um get Havertz in there, get him, even if it's not his position, he's looked better as a nine. I'd like to see that and, uh, and see if he can spark from there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I really hope he doesn't start in his, in that left eight role and Smith Rose on the bench. <laughs> I'd just be really, really annoyed. Um, <laughs> So no, I, I I agree. I kind of look at that number nine role. Maybe it is him playing that uh, on Wednesday night ahead of the Bournemouth game, and we'll wait to see who's back fit for Bournemouth. Like I said, Rice's injury not as bad as initially feared. So hopefully he'll be back. If not for that, he'll certainly be okay. You would hope for City, although there is the Champions League game before that. Thomas Party, as far as I'm aware, is ahead of schedule and is very much targeting. Is very much targeting the Man City game to be back for. And you know, I think if you Thomas quite. Quite, it's going to be nip and tuck that one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's what he's, he's definitely targeting. Whether Arsenal decide to risk it, we'll have to wait and see. But I tell you, I, you don't want to get, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to run on too long because you've got to go. And I don't want to get too optimistic because we do that we go about Man City games and it tends to backfire. If you could have a midfield three of Partey, Rice, and Erdegaard coming up against a midfield that won't have Rodri, I'm great. letting myself, I'm letting myself hope. I mean, it's the only time we've seen that midfield this season was in the Community Shield against City, wasn't it? We saw yeah. Rice, Hart, Odegaard, and they played really, really well together and, and stifled Man City a lot in that game, I thought. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Um, but that's one maybe for next week's show. Uh, I've just realised I, I didn't, I've used the wrong logo today. We've got the old inside Arsenal at the top. <laughs> so it's the wrong logo. You use the right intro and outro. I didn't use the right. I'll make sure I use the right intro. We're going to do the outro now because, like I said, I am on the clock at the moment and my uh, time during my wife's lunch break is about to run out. So I'm going to have to go back to. Uh, dad duties in the car after the uh the boy downstairs so thank you very much for that james enjoy are you are you at one of the are you one of the cup games this week or are you uh are you, i'm i'm going to the g-tech or whatever you call G-Tech. it going to brentford It'd be fun you there your way end no no i am i am not i am going to be here so is I'll this be, on is it on tv it's not no so i'll be i love the games that aren't on tv following it on twitter i imagine because i would What's never ever on? look for an illegal stream because no. that's not something that i would ever do obviously uh, so yeah we shall see well look, enjoy it mate hopefully get another 3-0 win like last season to uh to report on thanks very much for joining me and for everyone watching or listening to this 
around the world. I hope you're having a very good uh, start to your week and you have an excellent one. We'll be back next week. What day? What, what's Champions League is Tuesday, Tuesday. isn't it? Tuesday. Tuesday. So we're probably not going to do it on Tuesday. I imagine we'll probably move have to move it to Wednesday. Wednesday. Makes sense yeah. to move it to Wednesday, doesn't it? And then we can react, hopefully, to another Champions League win and certainly to start to look forward to that huge game against Manchester City a few days after that. Cheers, mate. Have a good day. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. See you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.